welcome to Wellness Your Way. I'm your host, Megan Lyons, and I've helped thousands of people find their own way to wellness. Wellness Your Way is an extension of that work, aimed to help you find your unique path to feeling your very best. Each week, we'll go through tactical strategies you can use to improve your health, happiness, and quality of life. So grab a mug of tea or lace up your walking shoes. We're about to dive in. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to episode 174 of Wellness Your Way. I'd like for you to just take a moment and think about something that you've done really great for your health lately. Give yourself a pat on the back. Have you eaten a really healthy meal? Have you cooked something new? Have you gotten out for a walk even though it was cold? Have you meditated? Have you prioritized sleep? What have you done great for yourself? Let that momentum carry you into some more healthy decisions this week because sometimes Oftentimes, we're so good at picking out the things that we are not doing or the room for improvement. And that's amazing too. I believe in continuous improvement only when it's supported by adequately celebrating and recognizing all the hard work that you are putting in. So give yourself some credit, pat yourself on the back. And now let's dive into some fun information. I have two great topics for you today. The first one is for you if you are always wondering whether you should be doing more cardio or more strength training, I'll give you an answer in health news you can use, and then we'll dive into the veggies of the matter, which is a rebroadcast that you need to hear all about emotional eating and how to tell whether it's hunger or emotional eating. Because when I ask so many of you in our one-to-one sessions, you are not sure what the definition is of emotional eating and whether what you're doing is hunger or not. So we'll unpack all of that today. Let's go ahead and dive in. In health news you can use, there's great new research out of Iowa State University from January 2024 all about the split between cardio and resistance training. We think of cardio for heart health, which is extremely important. One in three deaths in the U.S. are caused by cardiovascular disease, which many people don't think about. And we think of resistance training or strength training for muscle growth. So generally think of cardio for heart health, resistance training for muscle growth, but we have little guidance on how to split. And so when people come to me in our one-to-one sessions, I'm able to work with them through a customized protocol for this based on what their specific goals are, what their starting place is, all of that kind of stuff. But there hasn't really been broad-reaching guidance on this for the general population. This study is starting to change that. They enrolled 406 people aged 35 to 70 for a full year, which is a long intervention for a controlled study like this. All these people were overweight or obese with a BMI of 25 to 40, and they all had elevated blood pressure. And they split these people into four groups. No exercise was one group, cardio only, resistance only, and a 50-50 split between cardio and resistance training. 
And of all those three groups who exercised, they all had a trainer, a one-to-one trainer, and they exercised three times a week for one hour. So first group, no exercise. Second group with a trainer, one hour, three times a week, cardio only. Third group, uh, resistance or strength training only, three times a week, one hour with a trainer. And then fourth group, 50-50 split between cardio and resistance, three times a week, one hour with a trainer. So all the same, three three times a week, one hour with a trainer. And unsurprisingly, the body fat percentage decreased in all of the three exercising groups. So exercise does work to decrease body fat if the nutrition is stable. I always will say to people, if your main goal is body fat loss, nutrition is number one. And this study does not refute that. So nutrition number one for body fat, but exercise does help too. So if you're going, if you're comparing zero exercise to three times a week, by all means, you will lose more body fat with three times a week. Um, Now for each 1% body fat reduction, there was a 3% lower risk of developing hypertension. For each 1% body fat reduction, there was a 4% lower risk of developing hypercholesterolemia, high cholesterol. And for each 1% body fat reduction, there was an 8% lower risk of developing metabolic syndrome. So every 1% body fat we lose if someone is overweight or obese. Of course, there comes a limit. We don't want to be 0% body fat. That's not healthy for anyone. But if someone's overweight or obese, every 1% body fat reduction they lose or they achieve is adding significant health to their life. That's amazing. Now, in terms of overall risk reduction, taking all those things combined, just like how likely are they to uh, have cardiovascular disease, it was tied between cardio only and 50-50 split. So again, we think of cardio for the health, we for the heart, we think if all I care about is heart health, I just have to do cardio only, all day cardio, all day cardio. And this study showed you get just as much benefit from doing 50-50 split for your health. The 50-50 risk reduction for cardiovascular health was the same as the cardio only, which is really cool because strength training increases our strength. That's obvious. So the the things they measured like leg press and things like that, that increased most in the strength training group, obviously. But strength training um, adds to the way our body looks and feels, adds to our resilience as we age, adds to our risk of physical bodily injury, uh, or decreases our risk of physical body bodily injury has so many benefits outside of heart health. So to know that we can get as much benefit for our heart health by doing 50-50 as if we did cardio only, that's amazing. Only the 50-50 group had improvements in all the factors. So in the leg press and other strength measures, in the VO2 max and other cardiovascular metrics, in the body fat reduction, in the cardiovascular disease risk, only the 50-50 group achieved benefit in all of those things. So if you are um, overweight or obese and you're choosing to go from zero or little exercise to three times a week, 50-50 is going to be your best split. Now, if you already exercise seven times a week, this is not saying you need to add on more. If you already feel great with your exercise, do what you're doing. That's fantastic. But if you're looking for guidance of where to start, 
try 50% of your exercise as cardio and 50% of your exercise as resistance or strength training. What a great study. Now let's move on to the veggies of the matter. Next up is the veggies of the matter, and we will be going through three steps to distinguish between hunger and emotional eating. Now, I know that I have emotional eating tendencies. There's zero doubt in my mind, and many of you hearing this are just nodding with me and wondering how anyone could possibly not know if they're an emotional eater, but you would probably be surprised by how many of my clients are just not sure whether they're emotional eaters, or even if a specific incidence was emotional eating or actual hunger. So today, I'm going to help you by giving you a three-step process and a series of questions for each step that's going to help you determine the root of whatever desire you have to eat. So this takes practice. True awareness of emotional eating just comes with practice, which takes time and patience and effort, and there's just simply no way around it. I wish there were a one-size-fits-all 30-second cure for emotional eating that works for every single person in the world. Uh, I haven't found that yet. I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist, but the steps that I'm about to share are going to help guide you in the moment of question, and then when you practice this repeatedly over time, you will feel more in control of your desires and your tendencies towards emotional eating. So the three steps to distinguish between hunger and emotional eating are physical assessment, emotional assessment, and making the right choice for you. Each step, like I said, comes with a series of questions, so you can feel free to use my questions directly. Just jot them down now or head over to the blog post, which I'll link in the show notes. It has all these questions that I'm about to go over listed out for you. You can swap in some of your own. You can not even follow specific questions. Just kind of let your mind guide you. Whatever works for you is fine. Just follow these three steps. So first step is physical assessment. What we're trying to do in this step is honestly assess if our body, not our mind, not our soul, not our emotions, if our body needs fuel. Because true hunger is there for a purpose. When our body needs fuel, we get hungry. The problem is we don't always know if we're truly hungry or not. If we know we are, of course I want you to eat. Hunger doesn't mean that, oh, I could really just eat a bowl of ice cream right now or anything like that. True hunger is something that we need to listen to. Now, hunger doesn't all, or also doesn't mean that you're just not full. I don't need you to walk around never, ever getting hungry all day and you feel overly full and then you get to the next meal and you're not hungry. That's not what I mean. I want you to be hungry for your meals. That's normal and fine. Uh, but if you're truly hungry and it's, you know, multiple hours before a meal or something like that, then of course I want you to eat. So here are a few questions to help you determine if you're physically hungry. First, think about what you've eaten so far today. Was this enough to fuel your body given your activity levels? Maybe you had a tough workout. 
Maybe you've been walking all day. Do you think what you've eaten so far is actually enough? And if not, you might be truly physically hungry. Maybe there are other factors like hormonal fluctuations, things like that, that might be increasing your true hunger. Maybe you're riding the blood sugar roller coaster. We've talked about that many times here, where if we eat foods higher in carbohydrates, particularly the refined carbohydrates, our blood sugar spikes, and then it often crashes later. And if you're coming down from the crash, then eating something heavy in protein or healthy fat can really help stabilize you. So in that case, you might need to eat in order to feel stable. Just choose something healthy. And I will link to that blog sugar, or blood sugar blog post in the show notes. The last question here for physical assessment is, what does my desire for food feel like? What does my desire for food feel like? Maybe you have a physical grumbling in your stomach, in your abdomen. Maybe you feel lightheaded or faint or weak. And now I'm going to think, I'm going to make some of you think that I'm a little bit woo-woo with this one, but I mean this question seriously. Can you locate the feeling of hunger in your body? Just go with this question. You might be surprised that trying to locate our emotions in our body, even if they're things like anxiety or sadness or anger, when we try to locate them in our physical bodies, it can often help us dissipate those emotions. So if you locate a feeling of hunger in like clenched up tight shoulders or something like that, it's probably more emotional. But if you locate the feeling of hunger and it's that grumbling in your stomach, it may very well be actual hunger. So these questions again are, what have I eaten so far today? Do I think this is enough to fuel my body given my activity levels? Are there other factors that might be increasing my true hunger? Might I be riding the blood sugar roller coaster? And what does my desire for food feel like? That's step one, physical assessment. Now step two is the emotional assessment. And a while ago, probably 10 years ago, one of the first emotional books emotional eating books I ever read was called What Are You Hungry For? by Deepak Chopra. And to be totally honest, I don't remember much of the specific content, although any of Deepak's books are so wonderful. But what sticks with me is how we confuse that word hunger to not just mean physical hunger, but it can mean emotional hunger too. And I think that wording confusion has a lot to do with the confusion we feel when it comes to deciphering between physical and emotional hunger. We can be hungry for love. We can be hungry for attention. We can be hungry for rest. Or we can be hungry for broccoli, whatever. But that word having multiple meanings helps us, in quotes, confuse the physical and emotional sensations of hunger. So here are a few questions to help you determine if you're emotionally hungry. First, how hungry are you physically on a 1 to 10 scale where 10 is the most hungry? So this is the bridge from step one, physical hunger, to step two, emotional assessment. How hungry are you physically, 1 to 10? And then second, how hungry are you emotionally on a 1 to 10 scale where 10 is the most emotionally hungry? If this one's really hard to determine, just give it a shot. There's no right answer. Just imagine yourself in the grumpiest, angriest, most frustrated, most lonely, most overwhelmed, most broken, all these emotions, the the worst case of these emotions, that's a 10. 
So given that, where are you now on a 1 to 10 scale? And then if your emotional hunger rated higher than your physical hunger, that's a really great insight that you just gained for yourself. So what's a word or a sentence or a phrase that could describe the emotion you are feeling? Trying to name that emotion and and describe it for ourselves is very helpful in identifying our tendencies for emotional eating. Next question is, what has gone on today or this week or this month that might be influencing your urge to eat? Maybe your boss sent you a nasty email or your child was kicking and screaming all the way to school or your to-do list is overwhelming or you slept through the workout you really wanted to do. What could be going on? Think through everything that's going on emotionally to see if there's any connection between that and your desire to eat. Then last question in this step two emotional assessment is, is there something you're avoiding or are you distracted? Avoidance and distraction are some of the most common states for emotional eaters. Either we're avoiding something like finishing a project or tackling a to-do list or having that tough conversation or really feeling what we need to feel. All of those are avoidance states. Or we're distracted. We're scrolling through social media. We're watching TV. We're flitting back and forth between tasks. All of those things are distracting and lead us to emotional eating. None of these things are conducive to the awareness that's needed to stop emotional eating. So if you do find that you're avoiding something or you're distracted, see what you can do to snap yourself out of it, come back to the present, and set yourself up for better success. So all of these questions, 1 to 10 physical hunger, 1 to 10 emotional hunger, what are you feeling? What's How do you describe it? What has gone on today that might be influencing your urge to eat? And is there something you're avoiding or are you distracted? Those are all step two, emotional assessment. And then finally, step three, make the best choice for you. Notice that I didn't say here, always eat the vegetable because sometimes the best choice is honestly going to be eating that chocolate, even if it is emotional. These times are few and far between, but you're a human. You're not a robot. So start this step by acknowledging that you're okay giving yourself some grace in some situations. There is a big difference between giving yourself grace eight times per day as you shovel the M&Ms in your mouth to avoid your inbox and giving yourself grace because you just had a really truly hard day. And even though you're fully aware that you're emotionally eating a delicious dark chocolate bar, you're going to do it anyway. That's a time to just give yourself grace. So this step is about making the right choice for you, making a choice that will make you feel physically and emotionally your best, even after you've eaten that food. You want to be making a choice that's intentional and deliberate and in your best interest. Notice that I didn't say even if you're intentionally eating those M&Ms eight times per day, it's okay. No, because truly doing that eight times per day is not going to feel emotionally and physically your best. I need you to be honest with yourself in this step, in all the steps, but particularly in this step. And when you can do that, bring some intentionality and some purpose and some awareness into your decision 90% of the time, 95% of the time you are going to find that physical health, that emotional health that honestly just seems impossible 
when you're fighting with yourself every single day through these mini emotional eating battles. I want you to have freedom from that. I know what it's like to be there and it's not fun. So this step is very important. Here are a few questions for step three, making the best choice for you. First, what food do I want right now? Just answer that honestly. What food do I want right now? And if you came up with an answer that has a judgmental descriptor, like I want junk food or I want bad food, which my clients know I don't allow that bad food, but it came out in that childish voice. I want bad food. That's something that we say to ourselves, which is silly and judgmental and emotionally charged. If you have that judgmental descriptor like junk or bad or anything like that, that's a sure sign that your craving is emotional. No one no one's body actually wants to have junk food. That's an emotional craving right there. So if instead you came up with a food category, like maybe you said I want something salty, ask yourself if some veggies sprinkled with sea salt would do. If so, if you say yes, then there's a chance that your body truly is craving salt, in which case you have the power to make the healthiest decision available to you, and maybe that is the salted veggies. And if instead you came up with one specific food, like I only want ice cream, then chances are you've associated some kind of emotional release with that ice cream and you're looking for the emotional benefits. Second question is going to be, does chicken and broccoli sound good right now? Now, I like chicken and broccoli. I don't love chicken and broccoli, but it's fine. And when I'm truly physically hungry, I will eat this. I will be satisfied by it. I will move on. But if I ask myself that question and I say, no, chicken and broccoli doesn't sound good. I'm only craving tortilla chips. And the thought of chicken and broccoli is just like appalling. I don't want to fit that in my stomach. Then I've learned something about my craving. So I always ask myself, does chicken and broccoli or does an apple or does whatever, your equivalent of a healthy meal that you like but you don't love, does that sound good right now? Next question. I think this is the most important one. This is how will I feel emotionally and physically an hour later if I eat this? I always tell my clients that if something is truly a treat, it will make you feel physically and emotionally great. So if I'm out to a birthday dinner and I enjoy a dessert or almost daily when I sit and I savor my square of dark chocolate, I feel emotionally great because I truly enjoy it. I don't have regret. Physically, I feel the same as before. I choose a lower sugar, good quality dark chocolate that doesn't lead me to a blood sugar crash or anything like that. But when I'm just shoveling chips or candy or something into my mouth late at night trying to stay awake to do another hour of work or whatever, I feel emotionally awful afterwards. I have tried to drown my sorrows with chocolate and it didn't work. So it leaves me feeling emotionally awful. And I feel physically pretty junky too. Maybe I'm sick to my stomach or I'm dealing with impaired sleep or I have more cravings. So thinking about that, how will I feel emotionally and physically an hour later if I eat this? It's a great indicator of what's going on. Your gut instinct is so powerful here. Then the very last question is, what is the kindest thing I can do for myself right now? Again, I want a treat to be truly a treat. So if the kindest thing you can do for yourself right now is having that slice of cake 
even after you've gone through all of these questions and you're going to do it guilt-free and you acknowledge you're emotionally eating, okay, enjoy it guilt-free and move on. But if you know it would truly be more kind to yourself to go for a walk or get to bed early or journal or call a friend or whatever else, then give yourself the gift of doing that. So these questions for step three, make the best choice for you, are what food do I want right now? Does chicken and broccoli sound good? How will I feel emotionally and physically an hour later if I eat this? And what's the kindest thing I can do for myself right now? I'm going to post a blog post with all of these questions listed out for you, as well as a couple more emotional eating resources, including my free late night snacking quiz. I will post those all in the show notes for you. I hope you enjoyed going through some of these questions, and I really hope they help you out next time you are wondering whether or not what you're experiencing is true hunger or emotional eating. Well, hello there, friend. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Wellness Your Way as much as I enjoyed delivering it to you. I care so much about delivering the best quality information to you through this platform and all the work that I do. And if you're finding what you need right here from this podcast, then great. Share it with a friend because that really, really helps more people find Wellness Your Way and then move on. But if you need a little more customization and direction on how to actually take the strategies you learn here and apply them realistically to your life, then I invite you to consider a LionShare one-to-one program. I've taken my over 10 years of experience, that's over 12,000 direct one-to-one hours with clients just like you, and I've refined my approach to get the best results for people and give you the information you actually need to build sustainable health solutions. I now have a team of amazing people, four fantastic women working for me directly with two of them being nutritionists who help me serve you. And we are ready to serve you in 2024. You can snag a free initial consultation just to chat with me about your goals and see if you're the right fit for our programs. Just go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash lions initial consultation, L-Y-O-N-S initial consultation, all lowercase, no spaces, bit.ly slash lions initial consultation. The link is also in the show notes for you to set up that free chat. I can't wait to talk with you soon and make 2024 your year to finally feel your realistic, sustainable, healthiest self. Thanks for listening to another episode of Wellness Your Way with Megan Lyons. I always love connecting with listeners, so be sure to follow me on social media. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss brand new episodes each week. If you love Wellness Your Way, please leave us a rating and review. I appreciate it so much. Stay well, and I'll be back next week.
The Wellness Your Way podcast is provided for information only and should not be misconstrued as medical advice. Please consult with your physician or otherwise qualified practitioner on any matters regarding your health and well-being or on any opinions expressed within this podcast or the LionShare website.